we are going to open to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, a familiar verse to Christians, and it, it's kind of like one of those things, you know, if you like uh, certain types of food, like Mexican food, you eat it again and again and again, right? Amen. And you don't go, hey, how come we ate that before? No, we, we eat it again because it's good. And um, we're going to talk about, and this will be the title of the message, Do You See What I See? Or series, you know, that song, Do You See What I See? Do You Know What I Know? Do You Hear What I Hear? I, when I looked up the words to the song, I didn't realize there are a number of secular songs now with that title. So if you know one of those and they're bad, that's not what I'm talking about today, um, you know, with some maybe off-color lyrics. So uh, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, uh, we're going to begin here about do you see what I see or know what I know or hear what I hear? And um, this verse right here is uh, a foundational to a Christian. It says this. Many can quote it, but we want to look. It says, 17, Therefore, if anyone, 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 a murderer, a drug addict, a prostitute, you know, a successful business person, anyone, doesn't matter. If anyone comes into Christ or is in Christ, he is, he is a new creation or becomes a new creation. In other words, when anybody accepts the Lord as their Savior, they become a new creation. What they don't become is a person that's just uh, supposed to keep a bunch of rules. In other words, hey, Here's Christianity. Here is the Lord Jesus. Keep these rules. No, actually, Christianity is about becoming a new person. Inwardly. By a new birth. The Bible uses that term. So when he talks about a new creation, he's talking about not mental, not physical, but a spiritual thing that happens, and it says, therefore... If anybody comes into Christ, they are a new creation. New. I heard these verses pretty quick after being a believer, and I've heard them through the years, but what is it to be a new creation? What does it look like? What are you like? You know, some people, and, and it's sad, that... You know, there's uh, identification issues right now in the world. You know, people don't know who they are, what they are. They're identifying with different things. People that are humans say, I'm, I'm, part, I'm a wolf. I mean, not to be mean, but people don't know. What would be worse is if a Christian didn't know who they were. Are you with me? Like if a Christian went around saying things like, I'm just a sinner. Now, I know for a lot of people, they would hear that and go, well, what in the world are you saying? Well, we're going to talk about that. Therefore, if anybody 
comes into Christ, he becomes a new creation. The old things have passed away. What does that mean, the old things have passed away? And behold, all things have become new. You know, I, when I prayed and received the Lord, I mean, I did it in my bedroom late at night, laying there, and I, I knew how to do it because people had told me, and I just said, if you want my life, you can have it. You know, I went through this whole prayer and just said, it's yours. And uh, man, things changed. But my sheets, my mattress, the walls, my hair, my skin, none of it changed. So all things were made new, but it wasn't anything I could physically see. And I know it wasn't mental because I had some of the same stupid thoughts that I had before. So, so it told me something, that, and it, but it was real. And I was like, I was thrilled. I wanted to tell everybody, and, uh, but I thought I can't. Not yet. This won't last. And, uh, but I had the same hair, the same body, the same clothes. You know, I didn't get a new wardrobe. You know, like, wow. I mean, I'm a new creation. Old things, all things, all old things have passed away. I, I went outside, I had a brand new car. I tell you what, people be getting saved right and left. They're like, whoa, Jaguar, or whatever, you know, out there in my driveway after giving my life to the Lord. No, I went on like I was, but the Bible's true. All things, all the old passed away. But I didn't know what, the all, all, what all the old was that passed away. And because I didn't know all the old that had passed away, I was susceptible to some things. Are you, are you with me? But if we know what passed away, we won't be as susceptible to certain things. And so I literally was like, I knew something had changed. I was a new creation. I, I was brand new. I could sense God in my life. I wanted to know him. My desires changed. I, I craved to be able to talk to him and walk with him. And it seemed like when you snap your finger from the day I received him after there was a craving to get to know him, like to walk with him, like he's there, he's been there. But now some way I'm connected to him. What is going on? And it was the most euphoric thing at different times in my life. But then at the same time, there were pressures I had never known before. Well, what happened was I had an ex a spiritual experience. I had been being pushed my whole life the way of the world. And now I stopped or the Lord stopped me and put me into his kingdom when I called on him spiritually. And all of a sudden, the current that had, I had been going with, I'm not going with it anymore. And there's some unseen pressure. Anybody ever had that happen? After you got saved, all of a sudden you're like, temptation? Does anybody know what temptation is before they're saved? You just do it. Are you with me? Now, all of a sudden, there is something pushing me to do something I have no desire to do anymore. 
So I'd stand my ground and it would leave. And uh, this new life was so different. And I was a new creation, but I didn't know what a new creation was. And like I said, if, if, you, if we don't really know, it can kind of hinder us. But if we get to know what it is to be a new creation, that the old things have passed away, and all things have become new, and it says, now all these things are from God, in verse 18. Anybody here who has received the Lord, the old had left. Somebody said, I still have a bad desire. Well, technically, you're just being tempted. But you have a new self, a new spiritual person, in a way that would blow your mind, thrill you to the depths of the core of your being, it, as you realize, you know, man, Christ has taken up residence in me by his life. And in you, if you are a believer, if you've called on the Lord. It's not a performance thing. It's something He does when you call. So when it says, this, the old is past and the new has come, verse 18 starts off and says, now all things. Once again, all things. But it can't be all physical things or all mental things. It's all spiritual things. Are you with me? All spiritual things are made new, and, or they're made, or they're from God. All things are of God. All things are from or of God. Everybody say, of God. Now, if you don't know God's character, you, 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 and don't know the Bible, and maybe you've heard things in the world, then, then you might think certain things are of God that aren't. Like, like, some bad stuff's happening in my life. God must be sending this. Nope. It's not scriptural. Are you with me? That's important. Because if, we, if we don't know who God is, that He's a loving Father, you know, Jesus introduced the Father to us. Or God as Father. So he said, if you're a natural parent or an evil parent, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things? And then he went through this illustration. If a natural parent asks for bread, you know, will that, that evil parent give him a rock? Or he asks for this and he'll give him a scorpion. Or, or you know, the kid's and he goes through this and he's like, gives him a serpent. That if your father, a natural father, is not going to give you one of those things, we would go to jail today for that. You know, ho, 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 what do you have in your stocking? A half dozen poisonous scorpions. Why is your hand all bit up? Well, my dad gave me these. We would think, what in the world? Who is your dad? Who's your daddy? Like, really? Like, we got a problem here. And he said, if you being evil know how to give good things, you won't give bad. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things? Not some good and some bad. 
that's important because in verse 18, now all things, all these new things are from God. Meaning, they're not, not one of them is going to be bad, not one of them is going to be insufficient, not one, is, not one of the things is going to be insignificant. And But what are we talking about? We're talking about all the things that came into you and who you really are when you came to know the Lord. What is it to be a new creation? What is it, what, what do you really look like? You know, when, when uh, airports, you know, started upping all their surveillance and scanning stuff, you know, people were like, um, we're concerned uh, that this is going to be real intrusive, like they're going to be, some perverted people are going to be in the back watching us go through this thing with all our clothes on and we're going to look naked. You know, what I can hide with my clothes, you know, they're like, oh, oh he's got a big stomach or whatever, you know. Um, you can't hide. And so there was a company that literally was selling underwear for men and women with some kind of uh, material that was stitched on that was like a leaf in different spots so when they would go through that scanner couldn't see through anything. You know, because nobody know you're wearing them but when you go through that all of a sudden they're going to look and you're going to look like Adam and Eve, you know, with leaves. But there was something underneath the whole time that nobody else knew. And here's the thing, what, what we need to realize when we study this, do you see what I see, we're not talking about looking from a natural viewpoint. We're talking about looking at something beyond. And God will witness these things. God shows them to us in his word. And so here he says, notice this, now all these things are of God who has reconciled us to himself brought us back to himself through Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to say he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he talks about uh, how God uses us to reconcile other people to him. He will help us to reach people so they can come to know him. So what is that message? And this is important to knowing who we are and who God is and who we're walking with, what we're supposed to do. He cares about the world. He loves the world. He wants to, them to become new too in Christ. But they need to know the message. Well, notice the message. That is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself uh, not imputing or adding up their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Notice there the message is God has paid the price. He has paid the price for you and I and for the world and he's not holding their sins against them. The debt that they couldn't pay, he's not holding it against them. Why? Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it. He's not adding their sins up against them. 
He's not looking at people going, whoa, they're way worse than that one. No, he just knows they all have a debt, but Jesus paid for it. So somebody has to tell him that there's, there's a payment that's already been made. All you have to do is receive him, and he will come in and make you new. Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, and let's get looking at what this new creation looks like. What does this new creation look like? Now we're talking about from a spiritual standpoint. And look at this. This verse right here, I heard right away as a Christian. And I was always taught, um, when I read this verse, uh, about uh, segregation. Meaning, instead of separation. In other words, let me read the verse and you'll see what I mean. 2 Corinthians 6 chapter, and we'll begin reading in the 14th verse. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I'm going to stop right there. I always heard that was as soon as I got saved, don't connect to this, don't connect to that, don't do this, you know, don't be unequally yoked together. You know, yoke, we know what that is, you know, it's what you put around cattle and uh, you pull a plow, pull a stagecoach, whatever. But he said, don't be unequally yoked together. So I was always taught, don't hang around with them. Don't hang around with that. Don't hang around with this. Don't be around this. Don't be around that. And, you know, we live in the world, you know, some, we'd, we'd be in a hole if, it, if we were like, I can't be around anything. And, and there is an element in this teaching that we should be separate from certain things and not be joined up to certain things. But I don't know that that's the whole of these verses. And we're going to see why. Because notice in the context, he said, don't be unequally yoked together. Notice, with unbelievers. So he's calling you something. He hasn't said who you are. He just said, you're not an unbeliever, so don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. He calls the lost world an unbeliever. He calls the saved world, well, we know already, a new creation. But here he is going to start calling uh, saved people uh, some different things. He's going to start identifying what they really are. So notice, when I said a big chunk of these verses is not just being separate, it's describing uh, what a new creation is, what a new creation being looks like, what, what you look like in the eyes of God, what you really are. You know, when you die, you go to heaven because we received the Lord. We think many times we got a ticket for heaven, but heaven is a place for people who have eternal life. That's one thing we receive. Let's read on. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's calling the lost unbelievers. For what fellowship or, 
or communion or interaction, you know, and this is talking, you know, a real, more of a deep thing, has righteousness with lawlessness, what communion, it's the same word of fellowship, has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial or the devil, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's a pretty big thing. Then he goes on, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, let's go back. What, what did we just read? Sometimes when I first heard this, we would read that. There was no explanation. And it was just like all these words, don't hang around with this. Don't join up with this. But in reality, there are some truths in here of who you are and the way God sees you, the way you need to see yourself. Because you can't be separate altogether from the things of the world. There's no special place in high school or junior high or in an office for you. You with me? You know, the saved line at the grocery store and the unsaved. You get to, you get to shop on this half. People are like, I always wondered what was over on that half. Well, now that you're saved, you can shop over there. You know, you get that, that lane, the fast, you know, fast lane, whatever it is. No, that's, we're going to be in the same lane. We're going to be in the same stores as we were before. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get these people to know who they are. So the first thing is this, verse uh, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship? Notice this. He calls the lost an unbeliever. He said, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Right here, this may be the most peculiar thing to a Christian. But right here, he calls a saved person righteousness. And he calls the lost person lawlessness or outside. And he said, what communion has light with darkness? Now, we probably accept that a little better. Because we know Jesus said, you are the light of the world. So, well, okay. He said, we're the light of the world. And he said, the whole world lies under the power of darkness. So we know they're in the dark, we are in the light, and we are the light of the world. Where did we get that light? When we received the Lord. And then he said, what accord has Christ with Belial, or the devil? He calls the believer here Christ. You're not the Savior, but he calls you the Christ. Christ. Somebody said, ah, that's pretty hard to accept. 
Remember Galatians 2.20 and verse 21? The Bible said we have been crucified with Christ. Who? All of us. When he died, we died with him. He was taking our place. He said we've been crucified with Christ. He said, nevertheless, I live. So I died with him, but I'm really living. He said, but not me, but Christ lives in me. See, the church is called his body. He is called the head. Jesus said this, because here's the thing. A lot of times we've been, now I'm not saying we're the Savior, but really he looks at us as the body. He looks at us as though we're one with him. Think of the, all the scriptures. Remember Paul or Saul before his name was changed? He was tormenting the church. He was throwing people in jail. I mean, he was doing all this stuff. He was beating them. He was killing them. And, and one day he was going with letters. You can read it in the book of Acts in the Bible. He was going with letters and he was going to imprison some more believers. And the Lord appeared to him on the Damascus road and said, Saul, Saul, why are you picking on Christians? No, that's not what he said. What did he say? So why are you persecuting me? He had not thrown a rock at Jesus. He had not imprisoned Jesus. He had been imprisoning believers. These new creation beings that are one with the Lord. And he said to him, why are you persecuting me? Do you see what I see? I'm not the Savior. You're not the Savior. But you have the very life of Christ in you. The Lord identifies you as one with Him. And when He looks at the world, He looks at the world. Jesus even said it in John 8, 44, writing to the religious people who were not following Him. He said, you are of your father, the devil. A new father, a new family. He identified them as one. When you get saved, he identifies you as one with himself. Now, I'm not, like I said, I am not Jesus Christ. But I am one with him. So he calls us in this parallel, believers or the church as a whole, he calls it Christ. Just like he calls the world Belial or Satan. Then he goes on, and we'll go into detail on these later. Then he goes on and said this, Or what part has, has a believer with an unbeliever? So he calls a believer a believer, and somebody not saved, he calls them an unbeliever. He's paralleling the two. Right? Often, throughout the New Testament, he calls the believer, the church, the body of Christ. Let me ask you this. How many of you, your body is named one thing in your head another? How many are out there like that? You know, like when you go to a corporate meeting, you have two names. One for your body and one for your head. 
No, they're identified as one. Now, people that get squirrely will think, oh, I'm Jesus. No, I'm not talking about um, being out of your mind and being a nut. I'm talking about you got new life and the old, all the old spiritual life, the old spiritual existence is gone. And when you became, when you got crucified with him, when he paid the price and you received him, he said, now Christ lives in you. Your very spiritual existence is in him. You get what I'm saying? This is not about works. This is about identifying what a new creation looks like. When I received the Lord, I had new life. He who has the Son has God's life. Not just a human existence life. I know sometimes people hear that and they think I'm saying, oh, there's a bunch of Jesuses in here. No, not, not any man or any woman will not redeem the earth. Only Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But he identifies us as one with himself. And that is very important. Because, think about it, how I treat other believers is how I treat him. Remember Jesus? He said, how you treat the least of these, my brethren, is doing it unto me. Amen. So strong words when you realize the context. Then he goes on to say, um, believer, unbeliever, and people agree with that. Yeah, I'm a believer because we've been told. And they're unbelievers. And then he goes on, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So he calls the believer the temple of God, and he, you know he calls the world, you know, the lost idols, I, idolatrous people. They have other things that rule their life, not the Lord. So he's identifying them. And realize this, identification is different than performance. Let me say that again. Identification, or how you look and how you've been recreated, is totally different than performance. And so he said, in case you didn't get the comparison, what agreement has the temple of God with idols... He just pins it right down and said, for you are the temple of the living God. And then he said, God lives in you. How does God live in us? It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And his spirit lives in me. Now we're going to target one thing here before we leave. That first, one of the first ones he said is this. In verse 14, about halfway through, he said, what fellowship or interaction has righteousness with lawlessness? What connection has righteousness with lawlessness? 
What he's saying here is the believer is righteous. That means, what does it mean to be righteous? It means there is literally nothing offensive, uh, sinful, so to speak, between you and God. Nothing that makes him look at you as you are unworthy. See, most people think righteousness means works. But righteousness, we're going to look real quick, is not about works. It's about identification. In other words, God makes a person righteous, not their own deeds. Let me say that again, because you get, there's a line here. Because people are saying, are you teaching that we shouldn't live right then? Did, did I say that? No, but the reason why people do that and think that way is because they use these verses of like or the thought of righteousness. Well, I'm going to keep myself in line because I've got to be right. No, you're not right by your own works. You were created righteous. Now, let's go back to Romans the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter. And let's look at this topic. Are there other places that call you righteous? Are there other places that declare that righteousness was given to a believer? Notice this Romans 3.23. All have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. He's identifying every human being in the world. Every, everyone fits under this category. When he said, all have sinned, all have missed the mark, and fall short of God's glory and his goodness and his kingdom, everybody has fallen short. If we stop there, we're all at a level where we're not accepted, we're not loved. I mean, well, technically we've loved, but we're not accepted. We're not in good standing. We're, we're, we've missed the mark. But he's going to start to describe something here that we need to understand is this. That though a person or, or the world is falls short, he's going to talk about a group of people who no longer fall short. And how they do not fall short. Look at verse 24. Being justified. Well, what does justified mean? Well, the Greek word, you can look it up if you want. Not right now, but you know, on your own. It literally means declared righteous. In other words, like you're free from guilt. You're free from shame. Notice this. And being justified freely by His grace or His gift. 
through the redemption or the payment or the offering that is in Christ Jesus. How do people get justified or declared righteous? By their works or by the gift? By Jesus or by works? Being justified. How? Freely. Now it costs him something, but it doesn't cost you. Being justified freely by his grace, by his gift, through the redemption or because of the payment that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, through his payment, you were declared just like you had never sinned. Ready to read the next verse? Whom God set forth, who? Jesus. God set forth as a propitiation, a mercy seat, or the cost, you could say, or the sacrifice. The sacrifice by his blood. In other words, the Old Testament calves, goats, sheep that died, their blood would cover a person's sins. Here, this blood does not cover sins. He goes on after explaining this payment of Jesus to demonstrate his righteousness or to show his righteousness that because, I'm sorry, declare his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. Who's his? He's de going to demonstrate, explain this righteousness. What is it? Notice what it says. To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just, same word as right, and the justifier, same word as righteousness, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Notice what he just got done saying. This is profound. We, we don't want to miss this. Notice this. Think of this. He said this, to demonstrate or show at this present time right now, his righteousness. What is his righteousness he's talking about? If you can earn your way to be right before God, we don't need a Savior. Notice this. To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, that he might be just or right, and the righteousness or justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Think about it. The one who has faith in Jesus, Jesus is right, Jesus is righteous, and he becomes your righteousness. So when we talk about being righteous before God, we're not talking about our own performance, we're talking about the performance of Jesus. That he paid a price so I might be right. I might be righteous. Wouldn't that be a wild thing if you walked around and told people I'm righteous? They would say, you, you, you self-absorbed person. 
you hypocrite. I just saw you do something bad over there. No, no, I didn't get right because of my own perfection. We should aim to live right. I, I got set right. God looks at me as righteous. He looks at the world as unrighteous. He looks at me like I'm accepted. He looks at you like you are accepted. I mean, if you think about it, Galatians, or I'm going to read this. And we'll stay right there. But in 2 Corinthians 5.17, as he was teaching right there, he goes on to make a statement. And I know sometimes this can hurt people. What do you mean? Make them have a brain... Because eh. you, you're telling every believer they're righteous. Some believers don't want other believers to be righteous because... I act better than them. Well, I've been living pretty good my whole life. Yeah, but remember, by the works of the law, the Bible said nobody will be declared righteous in his sight. Galatians says. Not one. So after you get saved... Remember when he wrote to the Galatians and he said, Oh foolish Galatians, these were Christians. Who has deceived you? When you started off being right with God, did you get that way by the works of the law or, you know, by faith? Who has tricked you, bewitched you? Now that you're saved, do you do works to be right with God? No, we're right with God because of Him. We do good works because we're new. Sometimes, you know, you, we can let little things creep in and we'll look at other people and go, yeah, they're really, they really love God. There are people who love God who have new life that, that aren't exhibiting it to the degree that even they would like. What if you start telling them, you're right with God. God loves you. You see, they could be so condemned, they're, they have no strength because they think God doesn't love me. The one they want to serve, they think, oh, he's against me. What if they were told they were right with God? And God loves them, and God is for them. That would probably empower them. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.21, and I need to finish up here. Notice this. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He, in other words, he never did wrong. To be sin for us, he became a substitute. He took our sin upon him, even though he had been perfect. Notice the next part of the verse. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We might be. So when God looks at you, He looks at you as righteous. Let's read this verse back there in Romans 3, 21. What fellowship has light with darkness? What fellowship has an unbeliever with a believer? An unbeliever is called an unbeliever. 
An unbeliever is called darkness. An unbeliever is called one who has idols or other things above God. A believer is one who is called the temple of God. The believer is called light. The believer is called a believer. And the believer is also called right or righteous in the sight of God. What does it mean to be right in the sight of God? God openly accepts you without accusation. Now, the Lord will deal with us about things in our life, but He still accepts you. In other words, if He didn't accept you, your performance would affect your eternity. In other words, if I did something wrong right now, I lost my temper and said, I'm mad at everybody here, and then all a bolt of lightning came through or the beam fell down, smashed me, God's like, sorry, you did wrong, you can't come in. No. Somebody said, yeah, but I've been, I lived with so much wrong since I've been a believer or before I was a believer. I'm just living it out. I'm reaping what I sow. If you reaped everything you sowed, then you would still be paying for your past sins that would send you to hell. You would. Now, I understand if we perpetuate in certain things, there can be consequences. But that doesn't mean you're not accepted by Him. Amen. Romans 3.21 But now the righteousness of God apart from the law or doing all the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, this is what law and prophets means. The Old Testament Scriptures. In other words, there is a right standing with God apart from the law, and those Old Testament scriptures declared it. That a person could be right with God and not have to do everything that was written. Look at verse 21. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he's basically saying he gave this righteousness to believers. He gave it to people who trust in the Lord. Let's go back and close in 2 Corinthians 6, where we started. I believe that if you would dare to declare, you would find that these truths would resonate in you. I am accepted by God, not because of me, but because of Jesus. Because of His wonderful work for me. He made me right in the sight of God. If you're a believer, if you just declare that, I'm, good, I'm accepted by Him. He's made me new. I am in right standing because of Him. Notice this. Verse 14, 6th chapter of 2 Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Is he talking about a believer living a different kind of life than the rest of the world? Yes. Is he saying you can't enjoy stuff in the world? No. But what he is saying is this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's the lost. For what fellowship or interaction, or communion has 
the one who has been created right in the sight of God with the lawless or the one who is not right with God. All he's trying to do is get you to think when you're out on the street, when you're on the job, I'm right with God by Jesus. He just wants you to identify with yourself. I am a believer now. I'm not an unbeliever. I am now right with God. There are other people around me that are not right with God. God has made me right with himself. I'm righteous. That's all he's saying. Not by my own deeds. He just wants you and I who know him to identify with the fact you're right with him. By him. Then he wants you to identify with the fact that you are light. Spiritual light. Not spiritually dark. He wants you to realize that you are Christ or Christ's body or one with the Lord. And that the world is one with Satan. And then he wants us to realize that you are a believer. And they are an unbeliever. You are one who can believe, who can trust. And then he goes on to say, you are the temple of God. Because you've made God your God. So he's wanting you to identify wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you are at. Whether you're interacting with the world, doing whatever you're doing. I am righteous. I'm in good standing with him. I am light spiritually in a dark world. I am one and in union with Christ. I am a believer. I am the temple of God, and God lives in me. And they, the world, have idols as their God. Therefore, they are not the temple of God. God is just trying to get people to identify and see themselves the way he sees them. Not just get out of the world, everybody hide, every run, here comes the sinner. No, he's wanting us to know when we're in the world... I'm right. You're right with God. You're the temple of God. You are the light of the world. When you go to pray, he wants you to know you're in right standing. Because see, if I feel like I'm not in right standing, I'm going to go to prayer, and if I've been condemning and beating myself up, I'm going to sit there and go, okay, God, I, I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. But if I'm real guilty, feeling guilty, well, I don't know if you want to do this. No, he looks at you and declares you're right. We sign the check in Jesus' name based on his right standing. That's why it tells us, pray in his name. So we need to realize I am right. 